welcome to this podcast with the clinical teacher. I'm joined today by two colleagues from Miami. Uh, we have Jewel Sanko and Ilya Schechter. And the first paper we're discussing is Man versus Machine, the Preferred Modality, which is published in the Clinical Teacher's December 2012 issue. Now, Jill, you're the first named author on that paper. And I must say, uh, in this country, there's, there's just been an orgy of government spending on high technology equipment. And now you're telling us that really the high technology approach is no better and is actually less preferred than having actors betray patients. Is that the, the gist of your article? Have I totally misrepresented you? Uh, no, that's basically what we found. Um, and it kind of makes sense that humans would prefer humans um, in terms of an in interaction uh, kind of scenario. And in the scenario that we ran, there was a fair amount of interaction that they were able to do. Um, so while we found that they preferred dealing with humans, there's still a relevant place for high technology mannequins because we can't do invasive procedures on human beings. As much as we prefer to interact with them, you can't intubate a human that doesn't need to be intubated, for example. So while this particular group did prefer um, the human being for this scenario, it's not appropriate to use a human for every scenario. They're much better for history and physical types th type of things and interactive type of things, whereas high fidelity mannequins are much um, better to be used for invasive procedures and, and teamwork where you might do CPR or put an invasive line in or something like that. All the serious things, because the scenario you used was a 56-year-old man in respiratory distress with gradual worsening of his oxygen saturation. So I gather from looking at the paper that quite a lot of it was based around communication skills and picking up on his distress. And uh, I can see your point that you it, it did seem to me fairly self-evident that people would prefer a live actor to be conveying that sort of uh, uh, information, whereas the mannequins do have the ability to um, simulate signs and findings much better. Mannequins inevitably are less emotionally perceived than a live actor. Right. So that's, you know, we did set up the study so that the voice of the mannequin was the same actor that played the human. Um, and the we did a good job of making sure that these scripts were identical in terms of timing. So even when the, the human was in the bed, there was someone in his ear telling him exactly when his vital signs were changing and when he would need to say certain things. And then when he was in the control room playing the voice, he had that exact same script. So the timing of, of responses and stuff like that were identical for both scenarios. Um, and then one of the other things I wanted to mention is, despite the fact that humans are preferred, and in this particular scenario, a lot of it was around communication and picking up on the patient's distress, one of the things that we learned is, especially with young um, learners or young in their career learners, you have to be careful because you can't always anticipate what they'll do. And uh, we actually had an instance where one of the um, participants thought that the patient was going into cardiac arrest and did a cardiac thump and started CPR on the actual human. Um, and so we had to quick run in and save the human. So it's a good example of why, even though they prefer it in certain scenarios, it could be dangerous to use a human. Well, absolutely. It certainly speaks volumes for the fidelity of that uh, actor's performance, but I'm um, sure he wasn't expecting that, that consequence. <laughs> No, he certainly wasn't. <laughs> Ilya, do you have any, any comments on, on the paper? The, the one point I just want to make to, uh, to amplify Jill's point is that uh, when you design a simulation scenario, there is a 
there's a whole spectrum of educational objectives. And as she pointed out, uh, you know, for some, you know, higher technology makes more sense where you need to do invasive procedures um, or you need to do uh, life support measures like, you know, intubation or um, chest compressions. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, um, you have uh, interpersonal communication skills where you need to, you know, let's say, counsel the patient um, or take history where it makes a lot of sense to use standardized patients, real humans. So what we were um, examining uh, in this study is what happens when you can use either or. So mm -hmm. we're right in the middle where you have uh, sort of the middle acuity where you can use a, um, a high-tech patient uh, or you can use a, a human. And in this particular case, uh, what we found is that the students prefer um, a human because, you know, they're human, they humans prefer humans. Uh, but what we also found is that even though they prefer to work with humans in this particular case, uh, we didn't find that there was a huge difference in um, achieving learning objectives. Uh, and there was, uh, you know, teamwork and communication within the team. So that's why when somebody decides whether to use um, uh, a high-tech simulator or a standardized patient, they have to take into account students' preferences, but also uh, the effectiveness of this exercise, and also you know economic factors like you know cost and um, amortization and things like that. Mm, so it's really the right tool for the job, isn't it? And you, you you chose the scenario very carefully, as you say, to be mid-range there. That it's not strictly a completely communication skills scenario. It's not completely a physical signs and intervention scenario, but it's uh, it could go either way. So the message seems to be that um, even if you've got a particular tool, you're not going to force it into use unless it is actually the most appropriate one. And you've mentioned economics Absolutely. as well. You say in your paper that the initial purchase price and setup costs for the mannequin are more than for the simulated patient, but then the latter would have the more recurrent costs of having to employ the actor to play the role uh, beyond... Um, the mannequin, but in the in the technique you actually used, you had a skilled actor um, voicing the mannequin. So I suppose the costs would be similar. Right. You could have the person who is running the mannequin actually just verbalize whatever you'd want the mannequin to verbalize following a similar timed script that went along with the vital signs. Hmm. Uh, and in our case, we were lucky. We had a um, an actor who actually was a staff member and a physician so it was actually nice to have someone that played a standardized patient who is a physician who knew very well what the appropriate uh, signs and symptoms would be to the experience that the patient, you know, quote-unquote patient was having. Could I just quiz you on that point? Um, some people tell me that having a physician play the patient is is fraught with disaster because they will anticipate what's going to happen. They they generally won't follow your script, but they'll follow their own script of experiences they've had in health. Is that an issue, or, or do you find that their, their medical training is, is helpful in playing the role of the patient? So you bring up a good point, and you have to be careful um, with pretty much any situation where you're having a human play a, a patient. You have to make sure that they're mindful of what the objectives of the scenario are and really well attuned to what the script is and make sure that they stay on it. And so we had a, a number of run-throughs of this, and one of the things we did discover is that when we just gave him a basic script, he would drift on and off the script a little bit. Mm. So when it came time to do the study, we made sure that he was kept on a tight leash, so to speak. And that's why we had a, 
um, by the second timing of what he would say and when he would say it with an earpiece so that he would know exactly when to say it so that he could not have this drifting off the script either when he played the voice or when he was actually in the bed. So you do have to be careful. I see. So I thought the earpiece was for somebody who was non-medically trained to make sure that they were able to demonstrate the appropriate sign, but really it was more for coaching him to stay on script rather than wandering off. It was sort of like a leash, as you say. Right, so you could use the earpiece either way. But in this case, we used it so we would say, you know, when you're at the point where the blood pressure dropped, we'd say to him, okay, you know, your blood pressure is too low. You can only moan. You can't talk anymore. So that he knew he was in sync with the vital signs changing. So there was realism. Which you were altering, of course, from the control room. Great. Yes. Uh, Ilya, did you have a comment? We ran the course, you know, two more times. It's in addition to um, a physician actor who also used uh, a lay actor. And um, we did find uh, we did find that the the lay actor who was not medically trained, um, he actually had an easier time uh, staying on track with our scenario, with our script, uh, because ex- for this exactly the same reason uh, that you uh, that you outlined, that he wasn't anticipating and he wasn't reacting to what the students were doing. I mean, he was just basically following the script. Mm, he's more robotic, I guess, by definition. Right, he's more robotic. I mean, he's more. You know, more of a prog- programmed patient um, rather than, um, you know, just a reactive patient. So in that sense, you know, using um, a physician as an actor uh, has, its, has its pluses and minuses. So uh, it's an excellent paper. Thank you very much. And thank you also for speaking with me today. Thank, thank you. you.